Welcome to GEMCAST, the Geriatric Emergency Medicine Podcast, where we discuss important topics in the care of older patients in the emergency department. I'm your host, Christina Shenby. GEMCAST is produced with the Geriatric ED Collaborative. You can find more episodes on any podcasting app, and you can find the show notes on the resources page of gedcollaborative.com. Welcome back to GEMCAST. In this episode, we are going to learn about a topic that I have been curious about knowing more on for a long time. I've read many of the papers about this, and I had questions still about practically, what does this mean? How would we implement it? And the topic is geriatric EM nurses or transitional care nurses and how they can be incorporated into an ED to improve care for older patients and potentially allow older patients to be discharged safely to home. Joining me today are two leaders in the field in this area, Yula Wong and Pam Martin. Yula, please introduce yourself to the GEMCAST audience. Thanks so much, Christina. I'm so excited to be on your GEMCAST. This is a great opportunity for us to really talk about what JEDI nurse liaisons, genie nurses, GEMS nurses, you'll hear all about them on this call. I'm Yula Wong, and I'm a professor of emergency medicine at Yale. Um, I was previously at Mount Sinai for many years, where over the span of my career, I've really dedicated and moved towards trying to advance the care that older adults get while they're in the emergency department. So thank you for having us here today. Thanks, Yula. And Pam? Hi, thank you for having me. I'm Pam Martin. I'm a nurse practitioner by trade. I have worked in geriatric emergency medicine for 10 years now, most recently at Yale for the last 18 months, but prior to that was instrumental in developing a geriatric emergency department program at Bon Secours St. Mercy's Hospital in Virginia. Excited to talk about geriatric nursing in the emergency department one of my passions. And I think the care of our older adults in the emergency department is essential at this time in the country. Thank you. We've spoken previously in other episodes about geriatric ED accreditation and what it means to be a geriatric ED. And the theme is always that it's not about the space, it's about the care that we provide. And transitional care or geriatric EM nurses are a key player in helping provide high-quality geriatric care. There are many things that they can do, but overall, big picture, it's about providing holistic psychosocial support, identifying needs that the patient may have in order to be, for example, safely discharged, and then helping to meet those needs. So let's start out first. This term transitional care or GEMS, geriatric EM nurse, what does that mean? Great question. So a transitional care nurse or GEMS nurse or genie nurse is going to be a nurse that has additional training in geriatrics. I come from a background of geriatrics. I did not have emergency department training when I initially accepted my position. So having some geriatric knowledge is essential to improving the care of our older adults in our emergency department. Having additional training, it could be an RN that's doing this role. It can be an advanced practice provider. There's also different ways that those advanced practice providers can be funded. 
funded. So there's lots of variations in the way this role can be developed within your health system. Thanks, Pam. So I'd love to add, I think the key thing that the, the GEMS nurse does or the Jedi nurse or the nurse genie nurses, you've heard a lot of different acronyms out there that are used to describe what these transitional care nurses do. But the one overriding theme that I've seen is that all of these nurses really, as you mentioned and emphasized, is they're really there to facilitate and try to target those patients that we can transition them back to the community. So this isn't the patient we're trying to admit. Here, we're moving towards the avoidable admission. In the past, we would normally admit these patients. They might be called the social admission, but now instead of that social admission, this is the patient we're trying to facilitate getting them home to ensure that they can walk safely, that they can dress and feed themselves, can, that they can cook and take care of themselves. So that's the role that the transitional care nurse plays here. And I also want to add, I think another thing that Pam highlighted is it could be a nurse or a nurse practitioner or an advanced practice provider. And we'll talk a little bit more later about that, but that difference in role or the type of nurse that you have or advanced practice provider will be important if you plan to bill for these services. Thanks. And man, I wish we had this on one of my very recent shifts where I had several 95-year-olds and I was treating them and stuck in that place that you mentioned of, well, they don't quite meet admission criteria, but I don't feel great sending them home. I wish somebody had the time to sit down and figure out their home situation and make sure that they can get their medications and all that. So that would have been an incredible resource. So as we think about transitional care, we'll just for our purposes, call them transitional care nurses. What kind of training do they need to fill this role? So it can be an RN, it can be an advanced practice provider, any additional geriatric training is sufficient. So there you could do a geriatric certification. The ENA actually offers geriatric nursing modules. You know, if your hospital has is a member of the niche program, there's niche modules that they can do to receive that additional education. But having some additional education and training, you know, if you have a geriatric team at your hospital, geriatricians being able to work alongside those would be, you know, great. Even some palliative care training is helpful when you're thinking about that older adult in the emergency department who maybe, you know, this may be their fourth or fifth admission for COPD. You know, are, are we looking at an end of life situation? Is it now time to discuss their goals of care and, and bringing in those four M's, right? What, what matters to the patient at this point? Do they want to continue coming back to the emergency department as that revolving door. So I think, you know, there's a variety of ways to get the additional geriatrics and palliative nursing education that's needed for this role. Thanks, Pam. So let's walk through imagining we have, say, this older patient, this 95-year-old who comes in with some cellulitis on the on the leg. And how would the transitional care nurse approach this patient, what would they actually physically do? 
So to start, one of the first things I like to do is get a, get a baseline, a cognitive baseline, as well as a functional baseline. So with the patient, as well as with any caregivers or family members, because as we all know, there have been times when we're talking to our patients and they can give us the correct answers to questions, but they may not still be the correct answers. And you have that family member in the back shaking their head. No, 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 that's not true. So so engaging your your the entire care team to to get that collateral information. I think that's a big part of what transitional care nurses can help with. You know, what is their baseline function? How long have they had this? What medications are they on? Cognitive, you know, is there some cognitive impairment that may be impacting what's happening in the home? Do they have all the correct supports? Do they, are they already active with the home care agency? All of those things will play a part into whether or not we are able to discharge them safely back into the community. So you're really looking at kind of that entire picture. I may sound like a broken record here today, talk, you know, but bringing in the four M. So when you're thinking about, you know, kind of mentation, so looking at their cognitive function, mobility, looking at their mobility function, looking at their medications, is that impacting what's happening in the home? And then also thinking about what matters to that patient and the caregiver, because the caregiver is also your patient while that person is there. You know, you have your, you gave a 95-year-old example. Do they use a walker? Do they use a cane? Are they able to ambulate now with this injury that they have, if the cellulitis? Is their 90-year-old wife, if they were to go home, and fall or slip, would that wife be able to care for them? Are they willing and able to do that? Or even if it's not a wife, is there a daughter who may be in her late 70s? Are they willing and able to assist? Sometimes they're not. And it's not because they don't want to, they're just not physically able to do that. So what can we put in place instead to make it a safe transition? That's great. And I love the starting with the, what is their baseline? How much do we know about, will they be able to understand what we're telling them? Is their family able to give collateral and support what they're saying? How much do you also do, for example, quick tests of mobility to see, can they get up and walk? So maybe not a full PTOT consult, but just checking, you know, with this broken radius or with their cellulitis on their leg? Are they able to get up? Can they mobilize to go to the bathroom on their own? Things like that. Yes, that is a huge part. So having walkers and canes available in your emergency department, because most people don't bring theirs in from home, but using whatever baseline equipment they have to see. If somebody has a broken radius, they're probably not going to be as functional with the equipment that they had, you know, whatever they were using at home. If you're finding you cannot like get them to sit up on the stretcher. So you're going to start like from, from lying to sitting. So lying to sitting, can they do that? Can they do that independently? Did you have to assist? How much assistance did they require? Once you have them sitting up, were they able to maintain their balance just sitting on the edge of the bed before you even get to standing them? So then 
then you would have them stand. Were they safe standing? Were they able to do that independently? Did they need any assistance with that? Maybe have them take a few steps in place. Were they able to do that before you even get to taking any steps to try to mobilize? You know, most patients will need to go to the restroom at some point in their ER visit, that's a great opportunity to check mobility. You know, let's let let's mobilize to the bathroom. Let's see how you can do. If they can't, you know, make it that far, can they transfer to a bedside commode? If they can't, do, you know, if they're not at their baseline function, it may be time to call in a physical therapy consult because we don't want to put them at danger of falling in our emergency department or put our staff at danger of getting hurt trying to prevent a fall either. So, you know, you may need to, you know, kind of do just a little bit and then say, okay, no, they're not safe. We need to get that physical therapy consult. Now, when you have a transitional care nurse in the ED, are they also doing bedside nursing for these patients, the getting the medications and doing the vital signs, or are they only doing this transitional care work? Only doing the transitional care work. So this is an added layer of nursing or APP support. Fundamentally, they're not the bedside nurse who is then also trying to do this extra work. They are a separate individual on top of the bedside nursing. Yes, in my experience, that is what has worked best. And, and I can, sh- I will certainly share my experience at my previous hospital, I came in, and that was the role, the model they wanted was that I would be the provider as well. So I would be doing the emergency care as well as the transitional care geriatric expert. Mm-hmm. My medical director and I decided very quickly that that was not feasible. You know, as an emergency provider, you're, you know, you, you're so focused on, you know, making sure you're not missing, you know, kind of that emergency room visit and what's going on that you sometimes forget those geriatric principles. And even though like, you know, that was my background was geriatrics, I would find that when I'm trying to manage that emergency care, that those geriatric principles sometimes just went out the window because I was trying to make sure I did not miss an emergency condition. Yeah, I want to just add to what Pam was saying and, and Christina, just to highlight what your point was. I think that the traditional model of these Jedi nurse liaisons, GEMS, genie nurses, the transitional care nurses, they, everyone should think of them as additive. So this is another person that really is a Jerry consult in the ED, right? So it's not some adding onto the existing roles of the APPs, the nurses that are already in the ED caring, doing the emergency care. This is another person coming in to really augment and highlights the the aspects of geriatric patient care that address their functional, psychosocial, all of their health needs aside of their emergency medical needs. Thanks, right. And so the physician or the APP can diagnose the cellulitis and prescribe some medications, but then this additional person who's the transitional care nurse can come in and assess, will they actually thrive at home? Will they get better at home? Now, uh, Yuli, you've done a lot of research in this area in terms of things like the return on investment, Medicare savings, reduction in admissions. 
Who are the ideal patients who will benefit the most from a program like this? Great question. So going back to like the goals of this type of role is really to target those patients that we can have an avoidable admission. So if you've got a patient that's really, really sick, that's in the resuscitation room, that's intubated, that, that's not your ideal patient to be seen by a gem nurse because you're probably not going to be able to get that patient home from the ED. Flip side is the very functional, healthy patient that's maybe there and doesn't even really need to be there for a non-urgent condition. That's also not going to be the patient that'll benefit the most because that's someone that you know will probably get home safely. It's that patient that I would call that's in the gray zone. And it's the one that perhaps in the past we would reflexively admit because we don't think that they need a hospital admission, but we're not sure that they can get home safely. So it's that person that we're trying to get home safely, and, and that's the target patient. So we kind of call those the gray zone. In the past, we used to call them the social admission patient. So what are the benefits to this? I mean, from the patient perspective, I can imagine I would rather be at home in a familiar environment with my significant other rather than in the hospital. So I can definitely see an advantage to the patient if they're able to be safely discharged and get the home health or the wound care or the other support they need. What advantages are there to maybe the emergency physician or to the hospital or to, you know, Medicare or potential cost savings? So I'm going to address everything that you said, sort of, how does this benefit the patient? How does this benefit the hospital? How does this benefit the ED? I think some of our studies have demonstrated that when you have these transitional care nurses or even social workers, nurses, nurse practitioners, seeing these patients, you, you definitely are able to reduce their risk of being admitted on that ED stay. We've actually been able to show you can reduce 30-day readmissions, which is something hospitals really look to because that's where they do save their money if they can actually not get dinged on, on a readmission. And then finally, we even did a cost analysis. So to the patient themselves, per beneficiary, when we looked at Medicare patients, in the subsequent 30 days to up to 60 days after that day they were seen in the emergency department by a transitional care nurse, for example, there was like a $3,000 savings per patient. So if you multiply that by the number of patients that a, someone in this role could see, that's a significant amount of savings to the hospital, but then also for the patient in terms of total healthcare costs. And, and I think that's the big difference. Some might say, wow, $3,000, that's a lot of money. If you think about that $3,000, it's roughly a hospital admission. So that's, I think, where a lot of the savings come from is that we're able to keep these patients out of the hospital. Patients themselves, I don't think anyone comes in and says, gosh, I really want to be admitted to a hospital. And as we know, when you're an older adult and you're admitted, it actually can make things worse for you. you you're at risk for not only the atrogenic complications, but you, you know, the frailty can worsen, you get more debilitated and you're not at home caring for maybe perhaps others. Cause a lot of times patients will come and say, well, I don't want to be admitted today because I have to get back to take care of my husband or I have to get back and take care of my pets. And so they, their, their whole goal is they don't want to be admitted. They just want to be there to be, to address whatever is going on in their concerns and get them. And how do you get them back home? So I think this, this role serves a lot of benefits, not only to the patient, but also the hospital, the healthcare system as a whole benefits from this. What about for the ED physician or NP or PA who's working there, just trying to like get people in and out, get people admitted. What's the benefit to them? Yes, I'm sorry, I forgot to bring that one up. So the benefit that physicians or the ED clinicians have with this program is we should think of it as an additional resource that really helps us facilitate that patient care. 
again, as, as emergency clinicians, we're so focused on like diagnosing and then dispositioning, you know, so, so you know, facilitating that. But now there's always that other part, the, the, the holistic part. I think you used that, that phrase before, the holistic part of like the, the big picture of the patient. And now we can sort of think, well, we've got the additional resources of a GEMS nurse or a jet genie nurse or a Jedi nurse liaison to help us think and, and make sure that all of those other aspects are, are taken care of. Can that patient get home safely? And the other area this helps is we have a lot of patients with crowding now in the emergency department. And I think the role that these nurse liaisons, transitional care nurses can facilitate is if a patient doesn't have to be admitted, could we get them out of the hospital. So now they don't have to board in the ED. Could we facilitate getting them care? And a lot of times these nurse liaisons are able to facilitate and provide care even when patients are boarding. If you think about this, this is just really bringing some downstream care upstream. So they might get these services, the geriatrics consult when they're on the floor. Well, why wait till they get to the floor days later? The nurse liaisons here are now transitional care nurses are now facilitating and bringing to the attention, the resources and care coordination that these patients might need that would normally delay or end up requiring a longer hospitalization, but now they're getting that care earlier on, even while they're in the emergency department. And that could even shorten a hospital length of stay if the patient ends up getting admitted. Well, I'm sold. So let's say I am the medical director of an ED at a hospital and I'm looking at this, looking at the data that you have put together and saying, wow, yes, I want to reduce admissions, reduce readmissions, reduce, you know, cost savings to patients, to the hospital. I want to implement a transitional care nurse program. What would I need to do to set this up? Uh, does it need to be there 24-7 or can it be something that's there just during daytime hours? How would I kind of sell this to my hospital leadership and what funding would it take to, to set this up? So I'm happy to start that question. So I, I think the best approach if someone wants to start this program is to think in two broad terms. The first one is what are your resources that you already have in your emergency department? If you've already got, for example, utilization nurses or pharmacists working in the ED, and if you have that opportunity to take some of those positions, especially for example, like a utilization nurse and convert them to sort of say, well, could you target patients that are 65 and older, 75 and older, that might have X, Y, and Z conditions, or that have certain diagnoses. So you mentioned a couple like cellulitis, or someone who might come in with shortness of breath and CHF, like some specific diagnoses. Are those the ones that could be facilitated where maybe if we just tune them up, or, you know, can get them home safely with additional resources beyond just those medical care, those might be some great ways to target. So look within the resources that you already have and how you can partner with those. And then now also look for other partnering services and disciplines that might exist. So as mentioned before, do you have geriatrics or programs that might have geriatrics consults partnering with them? Do you have physical therapy in your hospital, bringing them now into the ED? Because those external services, they could also potentially bill when they come down to consult in the emergency department. So leveraging a lot of the resources within, but then also partnering with resources outside and then facilitating that care. Once you start those dialogues and those discussions, you'll be, you'll be, I think, happily surprised to see that a lot of people are kind of interested and engaged and, you know, you're aligning your goals and then you have like instant champions to work together on this. 
I like it. So leveraging our existing resources, maybe some of our existing consults or nurses who are doing utilization management, and then looking to partner with, with other groups and to focus on specific populations. Maybe it's the older old, the 80 and over, or 75 and older, or maybe it's specific diagnoses like that cellulitis, or maybe a distal radius fracture or a CHF. And do we need to have this type of service online 24-7, or is there a benefit to at least having it during, say, busy hours of the day? I think it's beneficial to have it during your busiest hours of the day. So one of the things you do want to look at are your metrics, right? Take a look at your age demographics and your days of the week and times of the day that your older adults are coming through your emergency departments. You also want to think about your community resources and when those are open and available because it's not just transitioning, you know, from to home, but transitioning to other facilities. And how can you make that happen? You know, is it harder after hours or after five o'clock? So you may not need someone, you know, after five or six o'clock, because you can't move them out into the community anyway, because you don't have those resources to assist you. So not just, you know, what your hospital has, but also your community resources. One of the things as I'm coming in and looking at a new program and thinking about, you know, how would I want to develop a geriatric emergency department is you know, you kind of said up front, what, what, are, what are the goals of the program? Are you looking at reducing readmissions, reducing admissions, reducing length of stay, you know, increasing seeing your consults in the emergency department? Like kind of what, what are the goals of the program? So having clear guidelines on, you know, kind of what it is you want to target as your metrics helps determine the patients that your GEMS nurse is going to see. The other thing is getting all your stakeholders in place, having everybody online and on board. So thinking about what's happening currently in, in your emergency department and in your environment. It may be that you need to work on one initiative and not 10 geriatric initiatives, right? Like, you know, if you're looking at you know, maybe you pick one that's, you know, kind of low hanging fruit, you know, are we looking at delirium right now? Are we going to do falls, but picking one initiative and starting with that versus trying to do multiple at one time? That's a great point. And, and I want to really emphasize some points that you brought up, which is thinking of how to align your goals with their goals. And so depending on who you're speaking to and trying to convince and start this program. So for example, if it's the hospital leadership, their latest thing today might be, well, we really need to decrease our hospital lengths of stay. And so if you know that, you know, then you, you frame up like this program could help you do that by moving the, the assessment upstream while they're in the emergency department and thus on the back end, reduce hospital length of stay. If you're talking to the ED nurses, they might be like, well, why do you want me to do these things? Or why is this important? Well, it's because it'll help us diagnose or pick up on these particular conditions so that we can then potentially discharge them quicker. And then from the ED clinician, you know, physicians or APPs, from their perspective, again, showing to them the added value. So I think Starting these programs, not only, as you mentioned before, sort of starting small or targeting what you're planning to do, but also really like pointing out to your audience and your partners 
how this can benefit them and how this will improve the care in general. So I think those are really, really some strategic points that really not only for the GEMS program or the transitional cares program, but whenever we do any kind of quality improvement initiative, how to frame it up and, and get champions on board. Yes, I like that. So starting with one thing, maybe it's not a complete rollout of a holistic, holistic, comprehensive transitional care nurse program, but could you add someone who maybe works in the nine to five hours or the three to 11 hours who focuses just on people with a few different diagnoses, who focuses on just connecting with home health or wound care or home PT or other services? Well, this has been great. And to summarize, a transitional care nurse is an added nurse or NPPA who has specific training in geriatric emergency care. And there's lots of different ways to get that training. And what they do is they're an added support layer in addition to the bedside nurse. So this is not just pushing more duties on top of an already stressed bedside nurse who has lots and lots of things to do. This is somebody who can go and look at what is the cognitive and functional baseline of the patient, get collateral information, understand what supports they have in place, understand what needs they would have in order to be safely discharged. They can check on their family support, check on their mobility, check on their medications, check on what matters most. Is this patient actually somebody who, who is interested in transitioning to palliative care or hospice? And then the patients who this can be most beneficial for are those who are in the, quote, gray zone, who don't really meet admission criteria or don't need to be admitted, but maybe aren't totally safe for discharge without these additional supports. The benefits are it can help reduce admissions, reduce 30-day readmissions, reduce costs up to 60 days after that initial ED visit. And this is cost for the patient as well as overall Medicare billing. It can also reduce risk to patients of things like deconditioning, frailty, nosocomial infections, hospital-based delirium. And then for the ED physician who has boots on the ground, this is an added resource so that we can feel more confident about sending the patient safely home. I know, for example, this patient who was 95 who had a cellulitis, I don't have an hour to try to call their family members and ensure they have you know, home health or home PT, or maybe it's hours in which I can't set up those types of services. So this is an added support layer of someone who can help do that and potentially can improve ED flow. If we're able to discharge more patients, then we have less boarding and crowding, and we're able to then see more patients and get them admitted or get them home or whatever services that they need. So if you are interested in setting something like this up, I encourage you to look at some of the papers that um, Eula and others have published. See what is not the biggest, most amazing comprehensive program that you could roll out. But like Pam said, what is the one thing that you could do that could help move towards this direction? Eula and Pam, thank you so much for being on GEMcast, for sharing your expertise. I'll include some links to some of your papers in the web notes and encourage those who are interested to read more about it. Maybe this is something that could benefit your hospital, your physicians, and your patients. Thank you. Thanks, Christina. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode of GEMcast. You can connect with me on Twitter with the handle at GEMpodcast. You can also navigate over to gedcollaborative.com for more resources on the care of older patients.